So a few words uh, from the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, in this tradition of insight meditation, we follow the Theravada tradition of uh, Buddhism, which is the uh, tradition of Buddhism that comes from the Pali Canon, directly from the Pali Canon. As best we know, it's what the Buddha taught. Uh, uh, the stories in the Pali Canon, uh, as best we know, are, are the stories of the Buddha and his disciples. Uh, one of the Buddha's uh, main disciples was Ananda. You know, the Buddha had many disciples, of course, many students, but he had certain, you know, a close-knit group that, uh, that traveled with him around India. And they were a very close-knit group and a very, they had a very tight bond. Uh, Ananda was uh, the Buddha's cousin, uh, and he was his primary attendant during the last years of the Buddha's life. Ananda was very devoted to the Buddha, as you can expect. And as the Buddha uh, reached his final days and uh, was uh, very close to dying, uh, Ananda, as you might expect, was quite bereft. And, uh, and, he, you know, and he said to the Buddha, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? You're not going to be around anymore. And uh, you know, the Buddha uh, said, you know, you don't need me to be around. I've taught you the Dharma. You have the Dharma. And everything that you need to awaken and to alleviate suffering and find happiness in this life, uh, you have inside of yourself. You have inside of yourself. Uh, you know, Ananda was an interesting story because unlike pretty much all of the other Buddha's main disciples, Ananda hadn't awakened. You know, he still had dukkha, just like all of us have. Uh, so, uh, you know, he pointedly asked the Buddha, what am I going to do? And the Buddha said, you don't need me to be around. I've taught you the Dharma. You have everything that you need inside of yourself. Be an island unto yourself. Sometimes that's translated as be a lamp unto yourself. This will be in the notes, uh, but I'll read this little passage where he says, I am now aged, Ananda, old, elderly, advanced in years, having come to the last stage of life. Just as an old cart is kept going with the help of bamboo strips, the Tathagata's body is kept going with the help of bamboo strips, as it were. I'm sure we can all identify with that on some level. Uh, so, Ananda, you should all live with yourselves as your island, yourselves as your refuge, with no other refuge as your refuge, with the Dhamma as your island, the teachings, the Dhamma as your refuge, uh, the Dhamma also being that which you have inside of yourself, the goodness inside of yourself, with the Dhamma as your island, the Dhamma as your refuge, with no other as your refuge. So you should all live with yourselves as your island, yourselves as your refuge. Ananda, as I said, uh, during the Buddhist time, didn't uh, awaken uh, and uh, you know, the, 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 the Buddha spoke to Ananda about this, you know, and Ananda was kind of, uh, you know, a little uh, ashamed or embarrassed, felt like he wasn't uh, uh, keeping up uh, because he hadn't awakened and so many of the other uh, disciples had, uh, you know, we can probably identify, we can identify with Ananda in so many ways, right? You know, what's wrong with me? All these other people are you know, awakened. And, uh, 
you know, what the Buddha said to him is, you know, Ananda, you've, you've done incredible service for the Dharma. You've been incredibly generous to me and the other monks, and you've been so instrumental in passing on these teachings and making it so these teachings can be passed on. You've, you've made incredible merit. Uh, your, your virtue, uh, your goodness, your generosity is unparalleled. Uh, he said, but you know, you haven't made enough effort in your practice. You know, now what you have to do is put more effort into your practice. You have to put more effort into your practice. And if you do that, you'll awaken. So one of the things I think, you know, the, the, that happened to Ananda is that he spent so much time, he put so much of his focus on the Buddha, he didn't put enough focus on his own practice. Sometimes uh, it's said that, you know, the Ananda relied too much on the Buddha and didn't rely on himself uh, as much as he should have. Uh, or we could think of that as he had conviction in the Buddha but didn't have conviction in himself. The, the happy part, uh, the, the happy ending to the story uh, is that after the Buddha died, Ananda did make the effort and did become awakened. It did find true happiness. So be a refuge unto yourself. Be a lamp unto yourself. Be a light unto yourself. Uh, you know, it's a path of taking responsibility, of being responsible for your awakening. You know, the Buddha was responsible for his awakening. We have to be responsible for our awakening. You know, uh, if we want to think about it a different way, if awakening seems like too big of a concept, uh, we have to be responsible for our ability to end our suffering. We're responsibility, responsible for finding the ending of our suffering. I mean, the Buddha gives the instructions for doing that. He points the way, as he said, I point the way, I give you the Dhamma, you know, the teaching, but you have to follow through on the teaching. It's a teaching that you have to practice. It's up to you to make the way. Buddhas only point the way, but it's up to you to make the way and to follow the path. It's up to you to do what you have to do to find happiness. Your happiness depends on what you do. I mean, a little bit of an analogy of that is, is a Dharma class, like this class, let's say, today here on, on Sunday, uh, as, 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 we're, as we're sitting here. Uh, you know, our relationship to the class and uh, our, uh, our capacity to awaken based on uh, what transpires during this class uh, is really, for each of us, uh, a function of what we do, of what we do. So, I mean, part of what we've done is we've come here today. You have to come here today to get something from the class, to, to, to be able, within the confines of the class, to uh, uh, develop in the way that you want to develop so that you can awaken. I have to be careful about what I said because I wanted to say, you know, you have to be here so that you can get something from the class. Uh, but, you know, and words can be a little uh, 
a little uh, problematic at times because we use words in a certain way and sometimes we take that for granted but oftentimes there is a hidden intention behind the words. Oftentimes I think in a class like this we expect to get something, right? It's like going to the store, going to the Dharma store. I mean it's a very Western way of, of thinking about the Dharma, the Dharma supermarket. Uh, so we expect to get something uh, from the class. On a deeper level though, on a more important level, on the level that speaks to our ability and what we need to do so that we can move away from suffering and towards a greater happiness, uh, we want to try to look at the class, at the Dharma, uh, not so much in terms of what we can get from it, but what we can give to it. What we can give to it. So, uh, our giving is something that we do. Is something that we do. So, it's about what we can give and what we do. So, uh, well, what does that mean in specific? So, I think it's something good to, for us to think about, to reflect on. I mean, we can think about how in giving to the class or giving to the Dharma, we give our full attention to it. We give our full attention to it. So I'm a little bit off the hook here now because, well, maybe I'm not quite off the hook, but, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, in a class, uh, when you go to a live class, uh, one of the things that you can give to it, of course, is your attention to the class, your full attention to the class. It's the same with a class like this. We can give our full attention to it. Uh, and again, this is a little tricky, but one of the ways I think that manifests, you know, is keeping the, the video on when, when the class is going on, when the teacher is giving a talk and when the other students are speaking. Now, I understand that sometimes things happen in the confines of your home, which you know, requires that you turn the video off. Uh, but that's something you can kind of reflect on. Yeah, kind of reflect on is turning the video off and getting a snack or something uh, indicative of me not giving my full attention to the class and the other yogis who are here. So, uh, uh, you know, this is, all, this is all stuff we've had to figure out over the last couple of years now that we're online so much, right? But really look at that. I look at my, that, you know, when I go to some kind of a Zoom thing, you know, you know am I really giving to it or am I kind of, uh, you know, uh, diminishing the way that I'm giving attention to the others by turning the camera off, etc. And of course we can give our heart to the class, you know, in being here, uh, you know, we're listening, but we're also here in a wholehearted way. Right? We talk about this all the time in all the classes that we do. So, you know, can I be here with compassion? Can I be here with loving kindness? Can I give myself in a wholehearted way to being here? You know, this is something that we can all do. We can all bring our attention. We all have this capacity to bring our attention to what we're doing, to the others who are here. And we all have this capacity to be here in a wholehearted way. I mean, I always talk about this just in the simple way of saying to yourself as you're here, let me be here with compassion. 
So try that. You know, let me be here with compassion. Can I be here with loving kindness? Can you use the head to connect to the heart? Can you use the head to connect to the heart? So it's when, we're, when we can bring our full attention to the class and we, we can be here wholeheartedly that we really experience the greatest benefit. Not just because we hear more of what the teacher says, but we bring our, ourselves to the class. Uh, we bring our heart to the class. And it's, you know, I'm just using the class as an analogy. This is just an analogy. So it's not that I'm so, uh, so self-centered that I think that this is so important. Although I do think it's important. It's more of an analogy for how we live, how we want to learn to live, what the Dhamma teaches us. So when we are able to give in this way to the class, or if it's to our partner, or if it's to anything else or anybody else that we're in a relationship with, uh, you know, we give what we already have inside of ourselves. We give something, you know, when we're giving, we're giving something that we have. You know, we're not asking and thinking that we need to get something, just like Ananda thought he needed to get something from the Buddha, you know. The Buddha said, you already have what you need. I've told you what, where to put your attention. You have this attention. You have this wholehearted ability. You have this heart, uh, you know, put it to good use. You know, when you're giving in this way, if it's giving to the class or giving to a friend or giving to your Dharma practice or whatever else you're doing, uh, you're, 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 making a connection to what it is that you have inside of yourself that's that's best about you, your goodness, your dharma. And there's great joy in that. There's great joy in that. So this is something that we uh, want to begin to learn to understand. And by understand, I mean have a, a sense of, have a felt sense of. Can we feel that joy that comes from giving ourselves fully, that comes from being here wholeheartedly. You know, when we're here out of love, we're here out of love for ourselves. We're also here out of love for the others who are here. And there's joy there. There's joy in the goodness of our hearts. You know, we take joy in our own goodness, the goodness of our heart, the Dharma inside of ourselves. So even now, can you feel that? Maybe it's a very subtle joy that you feel. I mean, joy is a, is a funny word. I was talking to somebody about this very recently. Uh, and, you know, we think of, you know, some of these words that we use aren't, you know, we, we have these preconceived ideas about what these words are. And we think of joy, it's like our team won the Super Bowl or something. You know, this quality of joy is a very subtle feeling in the heart. So we have to be very quiet to feel it. So we have to learn to be very quiet to feel that joy and know that joy that comes from giving, that comes from giving our attention, that comes from being with others wholeheartedly and being in our life and practicing wholeheartedly, that comes from our goodness. So the Buddha said to Ananda, be a lamp unto yourself, be an island unto yourself. Uh, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to be an island unto yourself? And I've just kind of spoken to that a little bit. Uh, but, you know, the interesting thing, of course, is many people know that that uh, axiom, 
that the Buddha offered to be an island unto yourself, which what we tend not to know is what the Buddha said after that. What the Buddha said after that. You know, this, the Sutta is a lot longer than that just little paragraph. And this is just a passage from uh, the Sutta, of course. But uh, so, you know, the Buddha said, uh, you should all live with yourselves as an island. And then he said, well, how does a monk live with himself as his island, himself as his refuge? How do you do that? How do you live with yourselves as an island, as a refuge? Uh, and he gives a very clear answer to that. There is the case where a monk remains focused on the body in and of itself, ardent, alert, and mindful, subduing greed and distress with reference to the world. He remains focused on feelings in and of themselves. So he gives Ananda the instruction for practicing mindfulness, the four establishings of mindfulness or foundations of mindfulness. So this is how we uh, uh, are an island unto ourselves, is we practice mindfulness. Of course, we just don't practice mindfulness. The Dhamma isn't a practice of mindfulness. It's a practice of right mindfulness. It's a practice of right mindfulness. Uh, the practice of right mindfulness is, 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 is a practice in which we proactively and purposefully put our minds in certain places and on certain objects in the service of ending suffering and knowing true happiness. So the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness, the Dhamma uh, that the Buddha teaches, is he says, this is what you need to do with your mind if you want to be happy. It's very specific, his instructions, and very purposeful and intentional. This is something that you have to do with your mind if you want to be happy. This is how you are an island unto yourself. This is how you find awakening. So it's something that he tells you what you have to do and what you need to do with your mind, but it's something that you need to do. You know, the Buddha can't put your mind on these things. You know, and of course, the practice of right mindfulness always starts in the Buddha's teachings with mindfulness of the breath. Mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of the breath, and that's the foundation for all the other mindfulnesses. And when we're practicing all the other mindfulnesses, which are, you know, it's pretty simple, uh, the mindfulness of the breath is always our foundation. So you know, this is how we become an island unto ourselves, first and foremost, is put our minds where we need to put them, and first and foremost, on the breath and in the body. But again, this is something that you need to do. You know, my mindfulness, right mindfulness, uh, is a practice of putting your mind where you need to put it. And giving the teaching on right mindfulness, the Buddha tells you what it is to do with your mind. But what you do with your mind is your responsibility. So your happiness depends on what you do with your mind. In another uh, passage from that time when the Buddha was dying, he said, Ripe my age, little the life remaining to me. Leaving you I will go, having made my refuge for myself. Be heedful, monks, mindful, virtuous. With your resolves well concentrated, look after your minds. Look after your minds.
And this is mindfulness, to look after our minds. So in looking after our minds, it's a tr we begin with this training in meditation, right? The meditation is a training of, that begins with putting the mind on the breath. We're training ourselves in the service of looking after our minds to put the mind in a good place with the breath. And then, of course, in that practice of right mindfulness, the Buddha has us cultivate an easeful breath, a good home for the mind. See, we're taking care of the mind. We're looking after the mind. We're making a good home for the mind. So we're putting the mind on the breath. We're cultivating an useful breath. And then the next thing we do, of course, is put the mind on the body. So in the meditation, just what we did during that half hour earlier was we were training ourselves to be mindful of the breath and the body, to put the mind on the breath and the body. But this is something that you have to do. You have to train yourselves to do is to put the mind on the breath and the body, to cultivate that easeful abiding in the body so the mind will begin to want to stay there. That's the training. Now, of course, you have to do that in all postures and all activities, the Buddha tells us. The meditation is just the training for when you go out there into the world. And out there in the world, it's very important with what we do with the mind, of course. The mind can get caught up in so many things when we're out there in the world. The teachings call that the, the fermentations or the effluence. Our minds tend to be going out, 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 out. You know? That's when we're in trouble, when the mind is out, out. So what we're doing and looking after the mind is bringing the mind in, keeping the mind in on the breath and in the body, in all postures and whatever we're doing. And then once we're able to do that, then we're able to look at the ways that we're causing ourselves clinging, suffering by clinging, you know, by holding on to the experiences of the body and the mind, the way that we're crying and weeping uh, over being separated from what's pleasing and being joined with what's displeasing was, of course, one of the ways the Buddha described that. So we use our mindfulness, once we establish uh, the mindfulness of the breath and the body, to look at the way that we're suffering and to understand how we're suffering, uh, and through that understanding, be able to develop disenchantment with what we're doing that's causing us suffering, i.e. our clinging, and to ultimately abandon our clinging and to know the end of clinging, the end of suffering, and true happiness. So uh, if we can do these very simple things with our minds, uh, we'll know happiness, but it's our responsibility. The fact that the Buddha did it, and thousands and millions of people have done it for thousands of years, uh, is great because it points us the way, but it's up to us to do with our minds what we need to do if we so choose to do it. It's actually a really simple process. Put the mind on the breath, put the mind on the body, right? Simple process, but not so easy, right? Not so easy, it requires effort, requires determination. That's what the Buddha said to Ananda, you've got to make more effort. After I'm gone, you'll do that, I know, he said, and you'll, you'll awaken. We often talk a lot about difficulty when we're having a hard time. Uh, you know, we've talked about that so much, you know, this class, the genesis of this class, of course, has been the pandemic, and here we are, uh, coming up on two years later, and uh, we still have a pandemic on our hands, but we always have difficulty and challenges in life, uh, and, uh, you know, 
when there is difficulty and when there is challenge, and every day we meet with some difficulty and some challenge, our capacity to meet that and not to suffer, because just because there's difficulty and challenge doesn't mean that we have to suffer, uh, our capacity to meet that skillfully, which means that we can meet it in a way so that we don't suffer, is all dependent on what we do. What we do, you know, coming to the class will just give you some ideas about what to do. You know, the Buddha's teaching will give you ideas about what you do, but your capacity to meet your suffering skillfully so that we don't suffer and that we can know happiness despite the difficulty in life depends on what we do. And specifically what that means is what we do with the mind. So think about this, you know, when you're struggling, it's like, what am I doing with the mind? What can I do right now? And of course, what's the first instruction that the Buddha gives us? Put the mind in a good place. When you're struggling and suffering, put the mind in a good place. Put the mind on the breath. Keep the mind in the body. Find a nice, easeful abiding. Find a nice, easeful abiding. You know? Separate out from the suffering and the clinging. And then once you're able to have enough space, you know, and we're going we're talking in a broad way, then you can kind of look at the suffering and begin to understand it in the service of developing disenchantment with what you're doing that's causing suffering. So we choose our openings to do that. But the first thing that we learn to do with the mind is to, the first thing that we learn to do is to put the mind in a good place and to keep it there. Now our capacity to keep it there depends on how much we've been doing that training in the meditation. You know, we're prepared for the world and all of its difficulties. But this is a very important thing to, to remember. You know, your ability to alleviate suffering and to find happiness depends on what you do. So when you are caught in difficulty and challenge and you are suffering, you know, your, happy, your, depend, your ability to find a way out of that depends on what you do with your mind. And the first thing, of course, that the teaching suggests that we do is put the mind in a good place. It's kind of like, you know, the Thais use this kind of metaphor a lot. If you're, you know, if you're in a storm and you're outside and it's really, you know, you find some shelter. You find some shelter. So, uh, you know, when we're able to be an island unto ourselves in this way, a refuge unto ourselves in this way, when we're able to be mindful in this way, when we use our mind in this way, you know, uh, to come to the breath, to come to the body, there's joy. You know? So this is something you have to notice. So I really try to pay attention to this. I'm really struggling or whatever and things are difficult and it's like, what, what can I do right now? Well, go to the breath. And maybe you just feel one or two breaths, but there's a joy in knowing I can do this. There is a way out. I can do this. And there's a joy there. So our task, of course, is to do it, to see the benefit that when we come to the breath, there is some ease, there is some peace, there is some space that we can do this, and to see the joy that's there, to see the joy that's there. So we begin to start to notice that. You know, our tendency for the mind, again, in terms of looking after the mind, we need to see that our tendency is to kind of go back into the pain or, you know, 
can I just take a moment to feel the joy in, in being able to have this uh, ability to find uh, a space within where I can rest the mind, where I can be separated from my pain. So uh, we see the benefits in being an island unto ourselves. We see the benefits in our mindfulness, uh, in applying our mindfulness and using our mind skillfully. See, this is what we have to learn to do, is to see the benefits in using the mind skillfully, see the benefits in that, and take joy in it, and take joy in it. Now, this, this is really important, you know, and it kind of, this is, I mean, I know I kind of went off on a lot of things here in this talk, and I'll end in a minute, but, uh, you know, when I was thinking about this talk, this is kind of really what I was thinking about, you know, and it kind of branched off into some other things here. But, you know, it's the importance of, you know, practicing mindfulness, but seeing the benefits in practicing mindfulness, right mindfulness, and taking joy in that taking joy in that and knowing the joy. So when we come into the body, when we come into the body, the breath, the body, you know, we come into the truth of our human experience, we come to the heart, we begin to come to the truth of our goodness and the Dhamma inside. So we begin to start to see that we have this goodness. You know, when you're in the fermentations, you're so far away from seeing your goodness. But as you start to come in, come in, come in, your goodness is right there. Your goodness is inside. The Dhamma is inside. The Dhamma is inside you. It's not in the teaching. That's the Dhamma of the teaching that's pointing you to the Dhamma inside you. The Dhamma is not in what the Buddha said. You know, the Dhamma is inside you. Once you come into the breath and the body, the Dhamma is right there inside of yourself. The more you do that, the more you know that. The more you know the goodness inside, the more you know the Dhamma inside, and there's joy. So you start to see that, oh, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm, it's just one breath, it's half of a breath, it's a quarter of a breath. And you start to see, well, there is a goodness inside of myself, it's right there. I was just looking outside for the answers, or I was caught up in all the things of the world. So we take joy in the Dhamma inside. So even just kind of bringing this all back full circle, you know, and coming here today, you know, coming here today, at least to some extent, we came here motivated by the heart, motivated by our goodness, motivated by the love that we have for ourselves and the compassion that we have for ourselves and for others. So can we acknowledge that goodness? So reminding ourselves of that goodness, but when we come inside, and when we pause and we come inside to the body and to the breath and to the heart and take a moment, can we just do that now? Can we acknowledge our goodness? The goodness of our attention that we've given to this class, the goodness of the heart that's brought us here and that's with us and listening right now. And can we take joy in that goodness?